2020, healthy, happy, and whole. Some of you don't know this, but I'm going to tell you something, that God really does care if you're healthy, happy, and whole. He would not have come to the earth and done 75% of his miracles healing people if he didn't want us to be healthy. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be happy. He wants to remove every obstacle. He doesn't want you worrying about going to hell. He wants you to be secure about going to heaven. He wants you to go to bed at night knowing he's close to you and that he loves you. He wants you to feel secure. He wants you to be happy. And he wants you to be whole. He doesn't want you to be double-minded or uh, schizophrenic or, you know, uh, worried and sick or fearful. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to not be splintered. He wants you to be a whole person. This is very much in his... his uh, uh, desires. And that's what we're trying to line up with this year. We're trying to line our life up with what God's will really is. And I've really enjoyed this study. We've been now in it uh, all through the month of January. And uh, I've been researching this for months before we started. And I have so enjoyed this research. It's different than anything I've ever done. And I have so many things I want to mention, just really, just, just so many people I want to mention at the front because it's so. Uh, good to have people that have plowed ground before you whenever you do something like this. And I've mentioned before Dr. Daniel Amen, his books and writings, they're, they're, the stuff he's written about the brain is so good. Um, and I just encourage you, if you want to read some of that or go listen to him speak, uh, Annie Grace, who's a person that helps people get out, out of uh, the bondage of alcoholism, uh, Max Licato, you know him, Bill Johnson from Bethel, you know him. Uh, and Rick Warren, his Daniel plan and, and the Daniel diet that he did about 10 years ago. All these things are just resources that have gone into what we're going to do this year. Uh, all of these people um, that have just plowed ground for us to take our lives and be intentional about getting them lined up with the Word of God. It's so great. And so I think, I'm very thankful for that. And so today we're going to talk about healthy relationships. And before I talk about what a healthy relationship is, I want today to talk about something that's a direct enemy of having a healthy relationship, and that's being lonely. Now, some of you don't know this, but you don't know that God's, it's not God's will for you to be lonely. It's not God's will for you to be alone. And I could say that to any crowd anywhere on the planet Earth because there's never been a human being made created by God, that God wants them to be by themselves. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, you're like, well, I'm married, I've got a family, you know, I go to church, I've got these people I say, you know, speak with and stuff. I'm not talking about that you're, you're, you're never around people. I'm talking about being lonely. You can be really lonely and be in, in the middle of a group of people. And loneliness is, it's a plague. It's terrible. I've been lonely a time in my life, and you know, when I was younger, I had a couple of years of my life where I was truly lonely, and, and it was horrible. It was horrible. 
I mean, I went to work every day. I went to school. I had different things going on, and I had people in my life, but there was no one that I really connected with at a deep level, and I was lonely. I wanted someone to talk to, and I didn't have it. Think about this. What's the worst kind of punishment? Solitary confinement. Why would solitary confinement be the worst? Because God made every single person on the planet to be in relationship. There's so many people. I don't need anybody. I can go it alone. You know, our country even applauds people that are, you know, self-made people or they can, they can make it on their own. In fact, it's, it's even a, it's kind of a negative thing if you say that you need to be with people. Well, God created us that way. And loneliness, it's not good. It's not good for you emotionally. It's not good for you psychologically. It's not even good for you physically. Our former attorney general, Vivek Murthy, I'll say it again. She wrote this, that loneliness is a growing health epidemic, that we live in the most technologically connected age in the history of civilization, yet rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. That's crazy. We're more connected now through social media, through all these different means, but loneliness, the, the gauge for loneliness, true, true loneliness, has doubled since the 80s. There's more lonely people now on the earth than ever have been. They're isolated. It has, it has a negative impact on our health. Loneliness has the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Isn't that crazy? Loneliness is one of the leading causes of depression. Yet people don't know that God has good news when it comes to loneliness. There's good news and there's bad news. The good news is that God has an answer for loneliness. He has an answer. And his answer is the church. Now, I'm not so naive to think, well, I go to church and I'm still lonely. I'm not so naive to think a person could just stroll in here and go to church. I'm not talking about the casual church attender. I'm talking about what God's idea is about the church. It is a, it is a, uh, a cure for loneliness. That's the good news. That's the beginning of a healthy relationship. The bad news is tons of people would rather have loneliness than to do things God's way. You know, as we go down this road in 2020, we need to realize that God has a plan for all of this stuff, and it's right here. He said, you created me. You made me. Now give me the sense to follow what you've written in your book. Why, why is that? Because God knows you. He's made you. He knows what's best for you. Do you know that he knows what's best for you more than you know what's best for you? Then why do you keep trying to make the decision for what's best for you? Why don't you line up with what God says? He says he made you. He knows what makes you tick. And I tell you this, he didn't make you to be alone. He didn't make you to be in a relationship where you feel alone. He wants you to be happy. So the Bible has a whole bunch to say about loneliness. It has a whole bunch to say about true 
healthy relationships. But I'm going to start at the very beginning of the Bible because, you know, you go to the Bible and you say, Lord, what have you written in your word about loneliness? And it starts in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. God created the heaven and the earth. God created the earth, and then he made this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden. It was just beautiful, beautiful to behold. And in this garden, at the beginning, there was no worries. He put man, in, he put man, he put Adam in the garden, and then there was this beautiful garden, and there was no worries for Adam. He didn't worry about money. He didn't worry about goofy politics. He didn't worry about safety or crime. There was no wars. There was no terrorists. He didn't worry about getting laid off. He didn't worry about unemployment rates. He didn't worry about drugs or alcohol addiction. He didn't worry about any of that stuff because there wasn't any of those worries. He was in the garden with God, walking in the cool of the day. It was beautiful. And at the end of chapter 1, God had finished all that. And he said, this is very good. Very good. Not just good. It was very good. God loved it. Adam loved it. But then in Genesis chapter 2, the very next chapter, God's looking around and he says, you know what? There's something here that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And don't get hung up on gender. He's not talking about just us. Even though I kind of believe women don't need men as much as men need women, but that's kind of my, my <laughs> thought. But, you know, it's like... It's not good for mankind, for any of us, to live alone. It's not good for us to be alone. God had said that. Here he is in this most beautiful place that's ever been made. Everything's provided. There's no worries whatsoever. And God's the one that notices and said, this isn't good. So you say, well, what's the lesson here? Well, he's saying, you can work yourself all your life to accumulate money, you can buy a penthouse at the biggest building in town, you can have the nicest car and the nicest clothes and the best everything. You can have everything in your surroundings that is perfect. And you can be walking with God in the cool of the day and it's still not going to be good because God was never made to be your companion in the world. God said it's not good, and there's so many people that want to say, well, God's my companion, I don't really need people. And I'll tell you, that's not biblical. It sounds really spiritual, it's just not biblical. Because here's God with Adam, and he says, this isn't good, I'm not enough. He needs to have somebody to share his life with. He created another human being, and he put him there with Adam, because that's how important it is for every one of us to have somebody to share life with. I'm not talking about getting married. I'm talking about a soulmate. I'm talking about someone to share life with. I'm talking about, there's people that are married that are as lonely as they can be. And I want to tell you that that's not God's heart. Marriage is really not the answer for loneliness, even though it can be great. Church is God's answer for loneliness. Now that might be something that flips your wig a little bit, but that's what y'all read in the Word. God wants us to be in community in the in the community of the church and you won't get it fulfilled with anything else you know people that are saying 
You know, it's enough for me just to have God in my life. I don't really need people. In fact, there's people that say, you know, God's great. He's faithful. He's dependable. And I don't like to be around people because they hurt me and they can reject me. And I don't really like them. So me and God, we got this deal. But I don't really hang out with people. I don't really like the church because they're hypocrites. I just want to say something that in 1 John 3, the Bible says, the commands that Bible, the Bible says, it says, that, it says that the way that we know that we belong to God the way that you know you belong to God is the love that you have for the brethren. And last time I checked, you can't have love for somebody really if you aren't ever around anybody. You see, the, 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 the way you know you're saved is not because you know the right answers to the theological questions. The way you know you're saved is not because you can answer a few questions that people ask you about salvation. The way you know you're saved is there's a love that grows up inside of you from God when you're born again that you didn't have before. And you, I don't know about this, but it's always been this way with me. If I love someone, I want to be with them. So it doesn't make sense to me to say, I love God, but I don't really want to be around people because when you get born again, God puts love in your heart for the brethren. That's the evidence that you have that you are his. And if that's there, I want to be with you because I love you. What other evidence would there be? I don't know if you know this, but we don't have a religion. We have a relationship. And it's not just with God, it's with each other. You know, there's people that want to do it their own way. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that say, you know, you get around churches and people are like say, Jesus, just take the wheel. Just take the steering wheel. And it's like, you know, just trying to trust God, like this whole thing with 2020 and, and walking in a healthy, happy hole. There's things we have to do. This super spiritualized idea that, well, I'm just going to let God figure it out, or I'm going to let God bring me my spouse, or I'm going to let God bring me my friends, or I'm going to let God bring... There's things we have to do. That's why I said, you created me, you wrote this book, now give me the sense to follow what you've written in the book. And so many people put everything in God's hands, and then when the wheel comes off, they're blaming God, and they don't even want to go back to church. And the answers should be found... Here, in the body of believers, the answers for life should be found in his word and not just having to go isolate and be by yourself. You know, people say, well, I just want to give God control of my life. Well, that's great, and it sounds super spiritual, but God never takes control. He gives you self-control. That's what he gives you. He doesn't he'll never take control. People say, well, God's not my co-pilot, he's my driver. Well, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense to Scripture. You're an independent individual with a will. And you will have to do something. You will have to make choices about whether you want to do things God's way or your way. God's way or your way. Because God way, God's way involves church. There's no two ways about it. It is not optional. Community is not optional. And as we go down this quest to go on this journey, we've been in Romans 12, and we looked at Romans 12, verse 1, and it said, you know, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. And then verse 2 said that um, you need to stop conforming your thinking to the ways of the world and conform it to the ways of God and his word. And then, you know, 
number three, uh, verse three said that we're to humble ourselves and not to think too highly of ourselves. And then we're going to look at four and five today and see what it says about growing spiritually in the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. We're all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we each have different work to do. Now stop right there. You see, the key to healthy relationships is for you to come to a realization that God's created you to be a part of a puzzle, part of a body, part of a group, that you have a part to play. I mean, there's a, the analogy is clear. You know, the body, it's two legs, two feet, two arms, two hands. You know, you know it's, and what he's saying is everyone in the, in the church makes up a different part of the body, and it's to be complete, and we have work to do. I don't know if you know this, but God, he created you, and he gave you a job. Do you know what your job is? If you don't know what your job is, and you don't know how you fit into the church, you don't know how you fit into the body, then that's going to be an identity thing, and that's going to cause you to, to, to not really be comfortable in this setting. And God wants you to know what, what, what your place is. People are always saying, well, where's the miracles? How come we don't see miracles? I think, I think about this analogy, and I think about it literally, and I think, you know, if Jesus was missing his legs, he probably wouldn't have done as many miracles as he did. I wonder if the reason the church is not getting around and doing what it's supposed to do is that it's incomplete. The question not is, where's the miracles? The question is, where's the church? Where's the people? Where's the parts? If we all have work to do and we're all made to be a part of a body, a community of believers, and that's the beginning of how it all works, maybe we should start right there. Because this next verse, it says, we belong to each other. And, and each needs all the others. You should circle that in your Bible. We, we need each other. We belong to each other. When I was talking about verse 1 and it said to offer your body a living sacrifice, I said the words, you don't own your body. God bought it with a price. Well, here we get more evidence that it not only belongs to God that he bought it with a price. He says, I bought it with a price and you don't own it. And guess what? It belongs to everybody else. Do you realize that you belong to me and I belong to you? That we belong to each other? Yes. You know, in, in our culture, our culture is so anti-community you know it's just so anti-community it's almost like that's foreign to us to need one another and it almost is a sign of weakness you know and it's hard to say those words I need you I need you it almost makes you sound needy and people say oh, I would never say that you know it makes you oh, it's kind of like they're a little clingy you know but I've had people tell me they need me. I serve a part in the body. I have a, I have a job to do in this body. And, and there's people that have told me, I need you in my life. Yeah, man, I, it makes me feel like a million bucks. It, al it also makes me feel very accountable. This is an important element in our, in our search for healthy relationships and not being lonely is it's an identification with something that we're part of something that's bigger than all of us we're part of something we belong to something we're integral we're important it's not optional according to god but you know we have to make the choice do we do it god's way or we do it our way 
Do we see it God's way or do we see it our way? He's designed us to need each other. The idea of needing someone is not weakness, you know. Just because you need somebody doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're human. It's the way God created you. He created you to need people. We need each other. I love what Rick Warren says. He says, snowflakes are frail, but if, you, if enough of them stick together, they can stop traffic. And the, the analogy is so clear. It's like, yeah, it, us on our own, we're not much. But when we stick together, we can stop. We can stop the advancement of enemy. We can stop the advancement of evil. We can think of how many things are... Tra- you can stop demonic trafficking. You can stop sex trafficking. You can stop a lot of traffic. But if you're a snowflake that goes out there by yourself, you're going to get run over. So you remove yourself from the body and you think, I can go it alone. I'm just, a, you know, I'm a lone ranger and I've got all the goods and nobody accepts me. I'm going to go do my own thing. Well, you're going to get run over. Because it's dangerous to not be a part of God's body if you're supposed to be a part of God's body. It hurts the body and it's not helpful for you. This is a mindset. It's, it's changing. It changes the way we think. Because there's safety in numbers. There's safety in numbers. He's, he says that we should, we should be the kind of people that looks out for another's interests more than we look out for our own. Well, that tells me that we should know other people's interests. We should know something about other people. So the question becomes, who's watching your back? I mean, we go on a trip. What's the first thing we do? Who's going to house sit? I want somebody to house sit. I'm going to be gone two weeks. I don't want to leave my house unattended. They might steal my stuff. Somebody might come in and vandalize my stuff. They might come in and, you know, we, we, are, we go to great lengths to get somebody to sit to guard our stuff. What are they going to do? They're going to lock the door. They're going to set the alarm. Because they're going to guard our stuff. We, we care more about our stuff than we do about our soul, about our own being. We have no one in our life that will lock the door around us. We have no one in our life that will sound an alarm when we're, when we're getting into something we shouldn't be getting into. We have no one that knows us well enough to say, Brother, you need to back up. You, you're really going down the wrong road. And I think a lot of people are lonely because they don't want that person in their life. Everybody wants accountability until they don't want it. That's what I found out. Will you be my accountability partner? And the first time you say something to them, it's like, hey, buddy, mind your own business. I'm talking about a body that's so close, and you have friendships, meaningful friendships, and people really know what your stuff is. Because if one person falls, another can reach out and help, but a person that is alone when they fall, they're in trouble. I know with myself, when I've fallen, I thank God for the people around me. I thank God that there were people that had my interest in mind, that God had God's kingdom's interest in mind. And there were times I didn't believe in myself, but other people believed in me. It made all the difference. You can be that person for someone else, or you can have that person for you in your life, because there will be a time you need to be picked up. And you need someone to know your stuff. So who's looking out for you? (laughs) So it's good to be in community. It's good to be in community groups. And Peter said it in his deal. You know, it's so funny to me that even back in the first century, 
Peter was talking to people about getting together and doing this very thing that we're talking about this morning. He said it's something that God really wants for us to do is be close. And so I want you to invite people into your home and get to know them. And people were complaining. (laughs) In the first century, complaining? What were they complaining about? The same thing they complain about now. My house is too small. Well, say, Jesus said if two or three are gathered, he's in their midst. He didn't say two or three hundred. He said two or three people. Everybody can't have two or three people. Stop complaining. People say, well, I, don't, I can't have a group. My house is dirty. Hey, I've got a solution. You, know, you thought I was going to say clean it up, but no. I, what, what I'm going to say is we should be like a big family. And if you're a big family, you don't care. I mean, sometimes the house is dirty, right? I mean, you're not like, it, it might get on your nerves, but the truth is, it's, it's your, you know, if you're a big family, you're not judging everybody because the, the dishes are in the sink. You know, we don't have to put on pretense is what it means. We don't have to, we don't have to act like we're something we're not. Sometimes the house is dirty. Sometimes we're sitting around in sweatpants all day. You know, sometimes things don't look great. But the truth is, if you have a real friend that's like a family, you can connect and you don't have to put on airs. You can truly be who you are. And we should be full of sympathy for one another. You know what that means is that you should know what's going on in someone's life and you should share that pain. The church should be like a big family. You know, people say, well, the church's main job is to spread the gospel. I I believe that's true. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Ready for this? This is going to be something you may not agree with. And I, I say this often. But the most important thing we can do as a church is to have a loving community with one another. And many people say, well, no, the most important thing is to go out and to witness for the Lord. You need to know Scripture. You need to know how to argue Scripture. And you need to go out and witness. And you need to go out on the highway and byways and tell people about Jesus and, and get them to be saved. Well, let me just tell you, I'm going to say it again. The most important thing is to be in a loving community with one another, even above going out into the highways and byways and sharing the gospel. Now, you may not agree with that, but Jesus said he did. Because here's what Jesus said. He said, by this, John 13, 35, by this, they will know, the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. They won't know you're my disciple just because you can spout a few verses. They won't know you're my disciple because you're out there talking to them about something and trying to get them to convert. They will know you're a disciple when you do what I've been talking about doing. You love one another. You're in each other's lives and you really do have community together. That's what he wants us to do. I mean, Peter was trying to get them to do it, and they were complaining about it, just like they do today. People say, you know, well, that's good. Okay, I don't want to be alone anymore. I want to make friends. But I've tried to make friends in church, and I find that it's really hard, and I don't know how to do that. I try to make friends, and people reject me. And I, I know what that feels like. I haven't always been a preacher. I've been in churches before, and you come in. I remember going to church when I was first saved. And uh, this month, as of this month, I will be saved 44 years. So I've been doing this a long time. And I remember going to church a number of times, and one time in particular where they had a big fellowship hall. And, and, and on my, it wasn't long that I realized, man, this place is clicky. There's a lot of clicks in here, you know. 
And all the, all the popular folks were on these three tables, and they were all, there's a whole bunch of them, and I thought, hey, I want to be over there, but there wasn't a seat. And I looked over here, and on these three tables, the big old tables, they had like one guy there and three people there and two people there. And I thought, well, gosh, who wants to be with those guys? <laughs> but I figured out, if I just want to be friends with people that have friends, I'm not really doing what God's called me to do. I think I'm going to go and try to be friends with somebody that needs a friend. And what happened was we started doing that, and we did that, and we did it over a long period of time, and that group got bigger and bigger and bigger, and pretty soon that side was bigger than the other side. But our challenge was when people came in for us to put chairs around the table and make it bigger. It wasn't to say, oh, we got five friends and we're happy. We're called to be something, a body. So how do I make friends at church? Because it's a good question. And I've had to go through this. So this is from my own heart. And this is going to be profound. You want to write it down? <laughs> to make friends, you got to be friendly. <laughs> okay, I know. That's a, I'll say it again. <laughs> to make friends, you got to be friendly. Amen. Nobody wants to be friends with you. If, you're, if, you think you're, if you think your gift of the Spirit is complaining, it's not... Nobody wants to be friends with if you. If your spiritual gifts are complaining, sarcasm, and criticism, they're not going to want to be with you. you. Some people think that that's conversation. No, it takes no intelligence to be critical. It, it, it takes no creativity to be create critical. And people don't want to be around it. That's not real conversation. And to be friendly means... You want to be nice to people. You want to be friendly. You want to engage them. You, if you approach someone because you need a friend, you probably won't make a good friend. But if you approach someone because they need a friend, you'll probably be a pretty good friend. You have to begin to do something. And it just blows my mind how many people will come into the church and the only person they get to know is me and then something will happen in their life and no one will visit or no one will take them a meal or no one will check on them because I can't remember everything. And then they get mad at the church and leave because nobody reached out to them. And I want to say, it's not our fault that you didn't know anybody. There's a responsibility. It's like I said at the first, if you're just Putting it on someone else, it's never going to work. You have a personal responsibility. If you want a friend, go be friendly. You have to be intentional. And I know you don't want to risk rejection. It's the worst thing in the world. But let me just tell you this. It, risk the rejection. You might have three rejections, but if you find one good one, it's going to be worth it all. Amen. And the next thing, you know, try being interested and try, instead of trying to be interesting. You ever try to do that? It's like people think what makes them friendly, you know, what attracts them to friends is that they're so interesting. No, it's really that you're interested in someone else. If you, if you have to be the center of attention and it has to be about you and your interesting life, chances are you probably don't have very many close friends. Try being interested in someone else. Try opening up your heart and trying to see things as other people see them. It will change everything. Be considerate. 
Be considerate. You know, just because someone says they'll be your friend doesn't mean that you can go to their house every day. It doesn't mean you can text them 14 times a day and expect to text immediately back and get mad at them when they don't text you back. You know, that's not what it means. Being considerate means that you care about their life and you, you, you understand that they have a lot of things going on and maybe they don't have you first on the priority list that day. That's okay. You know, being considerate means that you know appropriate times to call and everything isn't an emergency and you can't demand people's time and attention time after time after time. You cannot be an emotional black hole of need and be considerate to other people. You will not make friends that way. For us to make the church work, you need to learn to be a benefit and there are times you will need but if your relationship is just, I need, I need, I need, and I expect you to give and give and give, it ain't going to work. A real relationship is give and take. And to be kind. Just being kind to people. You know? Be kind to them. Be kind to the things they care about. Be kind to their children. Be kind to their pets. Just be a kind person. Let me, let me tell you another one. Be kind to other people's friends. They may have friends. They may have ten friends. And you may have one. And you get really jealous that they have ten friends. And you want to be mean to those other friends. I just want to tell you, if you want to be friends with somebody, you need to learn to be friends with their friends. And stop being territorial and judgmental and jealous. It ruins it. We can have healthy relationships, but there's a personal responsibility that we as people need to take on ourselves and stop putting it on God and stop putting it on everybody else and realize that we have something that we're supposed to do. And I saved the most important for last, and it's compassionate, to be compassionate. It said that Jesus showed compassion. He was moved with compassion. It's, it's a word that's powerful. And let me just say what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean pity. Nobody wants you to be their friend and to pity you. You know, there's times we go through really hard times, and if someone pities me, it just makes me mad. Compassion doesn't mean that. Compassion, when you take the English word and you break it apart, come means with or share. Passion means an intense emotional something, something that's intense and emotional. You share that emotion. You share that passion. When Jesus was compassionate, when they brought the woman caught in adultery, he wasn't trying to think of some clever saying so everybody would think he's cool. He felt what she felt. He felt what she felt, the embarrassment, the condemnation. She, he felt it. He shared that passion, and it enraged him. And guess what? He connected with her because she found a friend in Jesus. The leper. He felt what the leper felt. He felt the outcast. He felt what it was like not to be with your family. And so he reached out and he touched him because he wanted to touch him, because he wanted to heal him emotionally, because he had compassion. He shared it. That's what it means to have compassion. It's a shared passion. It's where we get the study of the gut. That Greek word is the word compassion in the Bible. That's where we get this word that means that we are, it's the study of our guts. When you have compassion, it's not something that's logical. 
You're not trying to fix people's problems. Someone tells you that their spouse has just left. You're not sitting there. They're not asking you to fix it. They're not asking you for a plan of restoration. They're asking you to cry with them. You share their passion. It's what connects us with people. Real people. You know, I have a wayward son, so share that compassion. I know there's lots of things we can do. I know that we've all had stories. Stop turning it around to be about you. Share the passion with someone else. You know, we have a fairly new member in our church. His name's Ralph Bates. Ralph, where are you? There you are. Okay. Ralph's a great guy. You'd probably know him better as Tanya Garner's dad. And uh, Ralph's been coming a few months, and uh, he lost his wife of several years um, recently, and I've gotten to know him, and great guy, great guy, Real, really an interesting guy. And uh, he was sharing a story with me the other day, and I asked his permission to share it because I think it, it, it talks about what compassion really is. And, you know, when he was in college, he went to West Texas, and, um, and Ralph's always been sort of a different kind of thinker. He's a little more progressive in his thoughts, a little more liberal, you might say, in the way he thinks. And, and he was going to West Texas, and it was back in the 60s. And if you were old as we are, then you know in the 60s it was pretty tough. Uh, there was a lot of racial tension in our part of the world. There was a lot of weirdness about uh, different races. And, and uh, Ralph said that in, in West Texas that they had this big uh, bulletin board in the commons area, and it was a free speech board. You could put anything up there you wanted. And so people put all kinds of stuff up there. And he said there was this one particular fraternity. It was a southern fraternity. And these guys were going to be hosting a banquet. And they thought it was so cute to be able to host this banquet. And then they advertised that all of the servers and all of the people waiting on the tables would be black. And the reason he wanted to do that is because this fraternity thought that was clever because it was kind of like back in the, in the south in the, in the Confederate days. And Ralph read that. And uh, he said, this is the way he said it. This is what made me think about this word. He said, I don't know what it was. He said, but something down inside of me, ah, that's wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. He said, it was just burning inside of me. And he said, I just had to do something. So I started talking. And I started talking it up with a lot of people in school. And we had a protest. We had a protest against that because it just wasn't right. He said it wasn't like a logical thought, even though I'm sure he thought about it. The truth is it came from his gut. He said when he read it, it made him sick. It made him moved with compassion. And he did something. And guess what it does whenever you do that? It connects you with people you wouldn't ordinarily be connected with because when they see your passion, and it's their passion, you're going to connect. If you want to connect with somebody at a deep level, learn to share passions with people. Learn to be compassionate. And to understand what they feel. Try to put yourself in their shoes. And let that drive you. Because that will connect you to people. Better than anything. And that's why the word says. That when people are happy. We are to be happy. When people weep. We are to weep. And you know. We are to live in harmony with each other. I, I don't know if you know this. But this is there is no qualifiers here. God's not asking us to be friends and be close with people that agree with us politically, uh, 
any, any, whatever divisions we have out there, he's not asking us to qualify or disqualify any friends. He says, I want you to live together in harmony. And if, you know, if they weep, you weep. If they're happy, you're happy. What that means is you understand how they feel and you join them in how they feel and you love them in that place. Is this so hard to understand? Do we really think God is pleased when we can calculate in our little bitty finite minds which people don't deserve love and we shut people out because we think we're better, different, holier there? I mean, is that really even comprehensible as a church? No, that's unhealthy. And we want healthy relationships this year. We need to get rid of everything in us that's not willing to get into someone else's heart and someone else's life and feel what they feel and let that move us because we don't know what it's like unless we join them in what they feel. And we're not to be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Thank God. Because guess what? We're all ordinary people. I mean, some of you might think you're extraordinary. You're going to have trouble connecting with us ordinary folks. We're all ordinary, you know, and that's one of the best things you can remember about making friends. No one is better than you, and there's no one worse than you. They're just ordinary people like you are, and that's it. That helps us connect. So I'm through, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something again. I have a, I have a song. And I, this time, I'm only going to have you just listen through the first verse. But it's, it's a song you'll know, and it's Frank Sinatra's song, My Way. And the reason I want to play this is because it's been in my heart all week because God's been just speaking to me about living life my way or living life his way. And, you know, as I listened to this song over and over again, and I kept praying, like, God, what do you want me to do with this song? I just like, I don't get it. It's just on me. It's like he finally showed me, if you change the word my way to his way in this song, it is tremendously powerful. But if you sing it as my way, it's almost rebellious. This independent streak of, you know, uh, Paul Anka wrote this song for Frank Sinatra, and Frank Sinatra was an Italian immigrant. I mean, he, he went to the top of the, the world, you know, and it was, everybody would re- hear this song and think, yeah, you know, he really made his way and he did it his own way. And that's true, but as I listened to it, I thought it's so counter to what God's Word says. And when I did it with God's way, His way, it, made so, it was such a beautiful song. And so I want to play one verse. I just want you to sit through one verse. And if you want to sit through the whole song, the whole song will play, but you don't have to sit through it. One verse, and the, you'll know it's over when he says, my way. <laughs> but when he says, my way, I want you to say, His way. That's it. His way. There you go. Just sing it out his way. Okay? Everybody good? Y'all are a very cooperative crowd, you know? Okay, because it's after 12. So anyway, here we go. Oh, I travel each 
Thank you, guys. Thank you for coming. We love you. If ministry team, come on up. If you need prayer, get it this morning. Uh, if not, have a great Super Bowl Sunday. Go Cowboys.